Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, to the New Testament book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews in chapter number 5. The book of Hebrews and chapter number 5. If I can remind you of what we spoke about this morning, starting in the book of Hebrews chapter number 4, towards the end of uh, verses 13, 14, 15, and 16, it began the principle that Jesus Christ is our high priest and he is our high priest and we're thankful because he is our high priest that we have boldness to enter into the throne room of grace and that we can go to God anytime we have a need whether it's for mercy or whether it's grace we can go to God at any time well the bible is going to continue with this idea this this uh theme that Jesus Christ is our high priest as we go through Hebrews chapter number five. And so if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and look with me in the book of Hebrews chapter number five, the book of Hebrews chapter number five. And I want you to start with me in verse number one, the book of Hebrews chapter number five, starting at verse one, the word of God says this, for every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way? For he himself is also compassed with infirmity. And by reason hereof, he ought, as for the people, also for himself to offer sins. And no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest after or priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh and when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet he learned, yet learned he obedience by the things he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when the time that you ought to be teachers, ye need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as need of milk, and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to him, them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we see twice in Hebrews chapter number 5? The book of Hebrews chapter number 5. Notice the first place of this, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 6. The order of Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek. Once again, we see it in verse number 10. The order of Melchizedek. The order of of Melchizedek. And with the Lord's help, we're going to preach a very exciting message, and that's not sarcastic, on the order of Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace and that you would give us mercy and that you would just help us now. Lord, I'm asking that you would just please 
give us understanding that you would be a help to these folks tonight. And Lord, this is a passage that I can be tempted to preach in my own flesh. And if that happens, then it's not going to help these folks, but instead it's going to hurt them. I'm asking the best I know how to surrender myself to you, that you use me as an instrument however you see fit, that you get accomplished your own work, and that you be a help to your people. Draw them close to you. Let the Bible be clear. Let it be easily understood. And in your name we pray. Amen. Now we know that the offices of Jesus Christ is prophet, priest, and king. That Jesus Christ in the Bible is the prophet. He is the great preacher. In fact, he is the greatest preacher. He's the one who foretell and he did foretell. He told about the future and he declared God's word. He is a prophet. We know that he is also future king. For a thousand years, he's going to rule and reign on this earth in the millennial kingdom. He already has the office of king. But there's another office that Jesus Christ has that the book of Hebrews is highlighting, and that is priest. That Jesus Christ is the intercessor between God and man. He is the mediator between God and man. He's the one who represents God to the man, and he also goes and brings the petitions of the people to God. He is the high priest. We know that this is an important idea. Now the Old Testament highlights an important truth that Jesus, who is from the tribe of Judah is also of the priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. Now this is important because the tribe of Levi were the tribe that was set aside to be the priest. These are who God set aside to be his priest in the order of Aaron. However, Jesus Christ is from the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Judah was going to be the tribe that the kings came from and they were not allowed to be the priest. That wasn't their designation. So how in the world did Jesus Christ end up being the role of prophet, priest, and king under the rules and the ordinations that God had set up? Well, the answer to this is that, that he was under the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a very important figure of history. We find him interacting with Abraham. Now, the thing about Melchizedek is that he held dual offices. He was at the same time priest and uh, a priest of God, and he was king. Now, Melchizedek is an interesting figure because Abraham gave his tithes to worship God through Melchizedek, who was the priest at that time. He was the priest of Salem, which became later Jerusalem. Also, Melchizedek had no recorded father or mother. He had no lineage. By the way, Jesus Christ didn't have a lineage as he comes from God. He is God. God had no beginning. And so Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus Christ. And may I say that sometimes people even say Melchizedek was Christ. But that's a different discussion. But Melchizedek was a real historical figure who was a king and priest that Abraham himself had dealings with who worshipped God through, through Melchizedek by giving his tithes. And Melchizedek is an important figure, and he's mentioned all throughout Scripture. However, most people have never heard of him, interacted, or when you read his name, you kind of went, and just stopped paying attention. You know, the Bible speaks about Christ being of the order of Melchizedek, even in Psalms. Psalm 110, verse number 4. We're not going to turn there, but I'm giving you that. It's speaking about Christ and how he was of the order of Melchizedek. Then the idea that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek is so important that it's repeated over and over and over. Here, um, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 6. He, as he saith in another place, thou art an order or a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It's quoting Psalm uh, 110 verse 4. In verse number um, in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 20, it says, Wherefore the forerunner for us is entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In chapter five, uh, 7 and verse 15, And as it is far more evident, for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Once again, we see in 
Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 17. For he testified, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Once again, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 21. For those priests were made without an oath, but this was an oath by him, for that was said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, here, God is placing a great emphasis over and over and over that Jesus Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we know that if God says something once, it's pretty important. If God repeats himself, that means pay attention. If it is three or more times the same thing, God is saying this is vitally important. You need to have an understanding and a working knowledge of this doctrine. Well, if that's true, what do you know about Melchizedek other than what I just told you? Now, you understand what we often do is that we major on the minor and minor in the major. Meaning the things that God places emphasis on, we often minor in that. We know very little. But we end up majoring on things that God says very little about. That's what we tend towards. But we have to place the emphasis where God places the emphasis. And God placed the emphasis on the order of Melchizedek. Now some of you are going to be proving a point in just a second. Already you're starting to check out on me. You're starting to say, you know, I don't know about the Melchizedek thing. I wonder what's going on. You're going to prove a point to me in just a second. All right, I'm trying to give you help here. Now, in the book of Hebrews, this has been building up what we call Christology, which is the study of Christ, of studying who he is. And throughout the book of Hebrews, we are seeing that Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is better than the angels. Jesus Christ is better than Moses. Jesus Christ is better than Joshua. And now we see that Jesus Christ is better than Aaron and that line of priests, that Jesus Christ is better. Remember, the book of, the he uh, book of Hebrews is written to the Hebrew people who are familiar with the Old Testament law, the Old Testament history, the Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament typologies. They are familiar with those things. And this is going to be the commentary on those things through the light of Jesus Christ. So the first thing I want to bring to your attention as we address the order of Melchizedek from the book of Hebrews chapter number five is that first of all, Christ our high priest. Christ our high priest. Now, we had started this passage this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter number 4, verses uh, 14 through 16, where it declares that Jesus Christ is uh, the, our great high priest. Now, any Hebrew person who was not familiar with Christ, but was familiar with the Old Testament, would immediately object. Wait a second. How can Jesus be the high priest? How can he be that? He's not part of the lineage of Aaron. He's from the wrong tribe. He is from the kingly line. He, you claim that he is God. How in the world can he also be priest? And so the writer of Hebrews then builds a case of why Jesus can be our high priest. So here are some reasons that the author of Hebrews, under the inspiration of God, gave why Jesus Christ can be our high priest. Again, some of you are going to be proving a case in a second. You're helping me. You're helping me. Notice it says, what's the first reason why Jesus Christ can be our high priest? Because of who chose him. Because of who chose him. Who's the one who picks to be high priest? God. God's the one who ordained the thing in the first place. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 4. Uh, verses 1 through 3 is starting to build up this case. Then finally it starts in verse number five or 4. No man taketh this honor, speaking about being priest and high priest, unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. Remember, how was Aaron chose to be high priest? Did he win a contest of who is the best priest? Did they vote people off the island? No, God chose him. You, Aaron, are going to be high priest. You know, if you gave Aaron the choice, he probably said, nah, you could probably find someone better. He already had some other issues going on, but God chose him and he chose his lineage. He specifically, God's the one who chose it. Aaron didn't win a contest, nor did he volunteer. God chose him. 
Now notice the similitude in verse number 5. So also Christ. So just like Aaron didn't volunteer, God chose him. So also Christ glorified himself, uh, not himself, to be made a high priest. Meaning that Christ did not... um, In this setting, as a person didn't say, hey, I want to be high priest. But notice what it said. But he that said unto him. Notice we have the pronouns. But he, that's God, said unto him, Jesus, thou art my son. Today I have begotten thee. God's the one who gave the honor to Christ. God gave this. Now, we know technically Jesus and God are of the same being, they are the same thing, different aspects of the same being. But we know that there is a difference in the idea of order and function. God being God gave with order and function, gave it to his son and not Jesus getting it himself. Notice as it goes on, verse number six, as he saith also in another place, thou art a priest forever After the order of Melchizedek. So God says I chose Jesus to be high priest. And I am specifically pointing him not after the order of Aaron. But in a different order. The order of Melchizedek. Who was a priest and king of himself. Who had no beginning. Who had no father and mother. Who was worshipped of and honored through my saints. I am choosing Jesus to follow after this order. What's the second reason of why Jesus Christ could be high priest? Well, we know first of all because of who chose him. Second of all, because of his experience. Because of his experience. You guys are helping me. Verse number seven. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Now here it's talking about the days of his flesh. So Jesus Christ is offering his flesh. It's going back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember what Jesus said? He says that Lord take this cup away from me. But then he said but not my will but thine. You know Jesus Christ was in flesh. He didn't want to go die. None of you would say you know what I want today? The best thing in my life is for me to be in a car accident. I want to feel the pain. None of you are volunteering for that. If you knew what horrible pain you were going to go to, wouldn't you kind of shrug from going to that, knowing you're going to face it? Well, even Jesus in his flesh, he's in his flesh. He's as much human as we are. He's also 100% God. Knew in his flesh what pain he was going to go to and did not want to. And he cried unto him who was able to save him from death. Couldn't God say, all right, Jesus, never mind. Just forget this thing. He could have. Jesus is talking to the one who could. But notice this, verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Do you know that Jesus Christ is God? And God knows everything. But there was one thing that Jesus learned while he was on this earth. One thing that you cannot learn by book knowledge. Obedience. Obedience is always an experiential thing. You can learn all you want about how you're supposed to submit. You can learn all you want of how you're supposed to to do things. But until you obey, you haven't learned it. You may know it, but you don't learn it. You only learn it by doing it, by obeying it. So Jesus Christ, once again, who is in all points tempted as we are, he had to practice submission. Now remember, when we talk about submission, it's not dealing with when we agree. When you agree with the biblical authority, that's called unity. That's the goal. Submission comes when you are given to do something that you don't want to do. Jesus Christ, in his flesh, did not want to go through the pain and suffering. And neither would you. But what did he say? Not my will, but thine. 
At that moment, he submitted to biblical authority, God, and he obeyed knowing it was going to hurt him, knowing what it was going to cost, knowing it was something his flesh rebelled against, did not want to go through, and he submitted anyways. He learned obedience. That's a good lesson for all of us. Remember, submission only comes when we disagree with biblical authority but lay aside our will and do it anyways. You learn obedience. You learn obedience. So why could Jesus be the high priest? Because of his experience. What was his experience? He learned to submit. He learned to obey. That's why he could become the high priest. Because he obeyed God. His experience. But there's something else that we see, another reason why Jesus Christ could be the high priest, even though he wasn't from Aaron's line. It was because of who chose him. It was because of his experience. And it also, it was because of what he did. It was because of what he did. Notice with me in verse number nine. And being made perfect. This word perfect means complete or whole. Meaning that God had given him a task to do. He obeyed and completed that task. He became perfect. He completed that task. He made it whole. He made it complete. Though, uh, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Because of what Jesus Christ did, he became the author of our salvation. Because of what he did, he became our savior. He paid our price in his body. So because of that, verse 10, called of God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So because of what he did, God says, I am now placing you as a priest out of the order of Melchizedek. As we go on, we see a second thing here, our response to this priest. Now, the author of the book of Hebrews, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is trying to lay an important truth to the listeners, to the hearers. Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek, that he's not after the uh, tribe of Levi. He's not part of Aaron. He's of the tribe of Melchizedek. And let me tell you why he's of the tribe of Melchizedek. And then something amazing happens. The author, as he's preaching a message, looks out to the crowd. And he sees some of your faces. You know what he's looking at? <sighs> and that changes the message. He begins to preach! Why are you sleeping? Let me show you. Verse number 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Why? Seeing you are dull of hearing. I'm preaching one of the greatest truths the Bible is placing emphasis on. And I'm telling you about the order of Melchizedek. And everyone who is saved and right with God. This should be wonderful stuff. You should be having notes. You should be listening. You should be ready to go. But you look like you're falling asleep. There is something wrong with you. And he changes subjects. And says, listen, if this doesn't get you excited. And you've been saved for any length of time. There is something wrong with you. There is a reason why you're sleeping now. Probably not now that I'm yelling. And not now after the author of the Hebrews is yelling. How can you go to sleep when we're studying on Melchizedek? Why don't you find this interesting? Why isn't this good stuff to you? Why aren't you begging for more? Why not? Let me tell you why you're dull of hearing. Let me tell you what the problem is. You're not mentally ready. You're sluggish. You're tired. Why? Verse number 11. In the book of Hebrews. Chapter number 6 and verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say. And hard to be uttered. Seeing you are dull of hearing. Why isn't this interesting to you? Why isn't this good to you? Well the Bible is going to give the explanation. But let me summarize it. 
Because you won't, because you're not obedient to the things of the Lord. Because you won't read your Bible, this is dull. Because you're not faithful to church. Or because you think you're doing God a favor by showing up. Let me tell you, if you show up to God, you're not serving Him. You're just being obedient. The work of God is outside of these four walls. You show up here, you're just being obedient. You haven't done nothing for God yet. You understand? People think they do God a favor by showing up to church. They don't find this interesting. And it's not the Bible because it's dull. Oh, the Bible's so boring. No, it's because you have a problem obeying. What did Jesus just got through talking about here? What did he talk about Jesus? Because he learned obedience. God honored him. That was the only thing that Jesus had to learn was obedience. And why are people not finding this interesting? Because you have an obedience problem. Because there's a problem with your obedience to God this is boring. I wish I was doing something else. It's your heart problem. This is wonderful stuff. And by the way, now the author of Hebrews has to take a pause. He's going to go back and talk about Melchizedek a couple chapters from now. But he has to clear off a spot and say, let me tell you why you're having such a hard time right now. And he clears off a spot. Let's see what the author of Hebrews has to say about this. What is our response to this priest? First of all, we need to be mature. We need to be mature. Verse number 11 again. <clears throat> of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing that you are a dull of hearing. Any public speaker will tell you you have to know your audience. All right? So we know that we're going to preach a different message to kindergartners than what we're going to preach to college kids. We would understand that. We also preach a different message to a Sunday night crowd than what we would a Sunday morning crowd. You understand there's a difference in maturity. There are some people who show up to Sunday morning, Sunday morning glories, that they don't show up to Wednesday night or Sunday night because they got other things to do. They feel like they've done God a favor. They've showed up. And so God should be happy with them. They've done their duty. They've checked off the box. And so we have to preach a message. What do we preach? Get saved. Read your Bible. Pray. Somebody said, preacher, that's all you have. Every message you have. Say, get saved. Read your Bible. Pray. You know, there's more in the Bible than that. Yes, and I want to tell you them, but I can't. Because you're not mature enough. Because you won't read your Bible. And you won't pray. When you finally get those messages, I can move on to something else. Does that make sense? I can't move on until you've obeyed. You're not mature enough. Now I'm speaking in generalities. Or some of you are hungry for God's word. Keep that up. Keep that going. But you understand, why do we have to preach? It's why I try to explain to someone who's growing in the Lord. By, that all that you hear, even on a Wednesday night, is baby food. There is a lot more to the Bible. There's a lot more deeper stuff and greater stuff but you have to hit the right audience at the right time. This is why we have an evening school of the Bible. This is why eventually we're going to have a Bible institute. This is why I'm willing to teach special classes. Because I want to teach those who have the obedience and the maturity to hear the things and eat it and not choke up on the meat. But until then, you get baby food. So if all you show up for Sunday services, you're getting baby food. If you show up on Wednesday night, Sunday night, you get some toddler food. But you're not going to grow up big and strong just on that. This is helpful stuff, but you're missing out. But why are we stuck with those messages? Because people won't obey. They're not mature enough to handle even more. So let's see what else it says. Not only do we need to mature our response to this priest because of who Christ is, we need to be mature, but we need to do our duty. We need to do our duty. Notice with me in verse number 12. <clears throat> for, when, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, 
ye need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of meat, and not strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Many Christians should be at the place where you are able to teach. Let me say, if you've been saved five years or more, you ought to be at the place where you are teaching someone else. And there's many of opportunities. Discipleship. Other things. One of the things about Evening School of the Bible is that we want someone to go through the course who's gone through it and has able to teach it, who's able to teach that course so I could go do something else. There are many opportunities to teach Sunday school, discipleship, future opportunities, evening school, the Bible. But why aren't you? Because you're still stuck on milk. And why are you stuck on milk? Because of disobedience. What determines if a Christian grows or not? Obedience. 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 And in case you didn't get it, obedience. Disobedient Christians, you know what we're still telling them? Read your Bible. If you've been saved for more than five years and not faithfully reading your Bible, there is something wrong. I'm not being mean. I'm just saying what the author is saying. I'm trying to help you now. I want you to be helped. What do I want you to do? I want you to read your Bible. I want you to grow. I want you to like this stuff. But if we're still telling you, read your Bible, and you've been saved for any length of time, there is a spiritual problem. You understand? This is what the author is saying. In the middle of a message, he looks at the crowd, sees how many people are bored to tears, and says, let me tell you what is wrong here. You're not even reading your Bible. You're not being obedient to the basic things. What is the milk of the word? Read your Bible. Pray. Be faithful to church. Be a faithful tither. And tell people about the Lord. Those are the basics. If you are not doing those things, you are still a babe. According to this, not me. You're still being taught how to be obedient to the basic things. How can you... Enjoy the meat of the word and the deeper things that the Bible has to offer. And there's quite a bit if you won't be obedient to the basic things. Remember, God doesn't give us scripture for the purpose of satisfying curiosity. You don't study scripture. You don't go to a Bible class in order to go, wow, this is great. And then go home and do nothing about it. Every time scripture is given, God wants you to do something with it. But if you won't obey the basic things, read your Bible... How does he expect you to obey the other things? Does that make sense? You know what most Christians have a hard time doing? Reading their Bible. That's why we encourage you to bring your Bible to church. At least you open it then. We're trying to get you in the habit. Look in the Bible yourself. I can't tell you how many churches I've gone to that I preached at. Where a lot of people don't have their Bibles. Churches. Good churches, supposed good churches. And they don't know anything about their Bible. They're missing out. We're trying to give you a leg up here by giving you Bible stuff. Not giving you cute little things. Trying to help you. But if most Christians are having a hard time reading the Bible, no wonder we lack maturity and we lack power for the other things God wants us to know about. Stuff like the Order of Melchizedek, which is a fascinating study. It's an amazing study. By the way, again, you get into it a couple chapters from now. We'll have another message on a Melchizedek, and hopefully you'll be ready then to hear more of the stuff. Notice in verse 14. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. All right, so you get the brand new baby and you bring them home. Wah, wah, oh, cute little baby. All right, honey, let's get him a good steak and let's cut it up. Is that baby ready to eat steak? I mean, I got yelled at for taking my five-month-old girl and feeding her McDonald's french fries. Here you go. You know, trying to get her off the milk. French fries, McDonald's fries. Never mind. 
But you understand, there is a maturity thing. I have seen so many Christians choke on meat they weren't ready to process. And you know what the, there happens? They choke on the meat, leave church, and no longer show up again. Because someone tried to force feed them something they weren't ready to digest yet. And it hurt them. We have to know our audience. But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even to whom by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Bible says how we get more discernment. How do you get more discernment? By exercising discernment. What is discernment? It's far seeing. It's not seeing where people are at. It's seeing where they're going. And most people lack discernment. They hear something that sounds great for the here and now, but they don't see how it's going to affect them later. They don't see how it's going to damage them later. They don't see where it's going to carry them out. They're just worried about the here and now. They lack discernment. They don't see the consequences of it. But you get discernment by exercising discernment. You know, so many people get on the thing, don't judge. Well, they don't read it in passage, but do you know the Bible also tells us to judge? For example, we may see a drunkard walk out of the bar here. I take my children and say, you see that drunkard there? He thinks that he's helping himself. He thinks he's taking away his problems. But it is not. He is hurting himself. He's hurting his family. He's damaging things. He's not heading to a good role. The end of his road is not going to be good. I have now used judgment. By the way, the same word is discernment. I've showed him the end of that road where it's going to take him. That is the type of judgment and discernment we all need to have. You should evaluate people. Many people know Brother Summerdorf. Brother Summerdorf, when he had his kids living at home, he would say, you know what? Me and my family, we're talking about some of you at church. People are like, ah. Yep. What they would do is they would come home and take their girls and say, what do you think about that boy sitting in the pew there? Would he make a good husband? Yes or no? And they would talk to the dad and the mom about why he would make a good husband or why he wouldn't make a good husband. You know what they're doing? They're teaching them discernment. They're teaching them that there's some things they need to look forward to by examining how someone lives their life. Are they going to be a good influence or going to be a bad influence? Are they walking with God or are they not walking with God? You should be able to examine people and exercise discernment and know where they're at and know where they're going. Why? Because we need to help them. What's our whole purpose here? We find where people are at and help them move forward. We have to have discernment. We have to be able to see where they are. Not all people are in the same place. Not all people need help the same way. Not all people are treated the same way. Because they're in different levels of maturity or knowledge of God. Some people know God but not saved. Or have a knowledge of God but are not saved. Some people are saved and backslidden. So far backslidden. Do you know that you treat a backslidden Christian different than a brand new Christian who doesn't grow? Hasn't grown yet? You say, but you're still telling the same thing. Read their Bible, read their Bible. Yes, but I treat them differently. With a brand new babe in Christ, come on, let's go. Take the next step. Come on, take a walk. For the mature Christian, why aren't you reading your Bible? You know better than that. I'm still telling them to read their Bible, but I have to chastise them a little bit because they're at different levels. Does it make sense? You understand part of this is discernment. And people lack discernment. Why? They're not obedient. They're not reading their Bibles. They're, not, they're missing out. We need to do our duty. We need to keep going. Oh, but there's more. We need to eliminate the things that will keep us from growing. We need to eliminate the things that will keep us from growing. Let's go to chapter 6. Therefore, so remember when you see therefore, you need to see what it is there for. What in the world is he talking about? Well, he was talking about Melchizedek, and he stopped in the middle of the message because he watched everyone sleeping and nodding off and said, Listen here! The reason why you're having a hard time is because you're disobedient Christians. You're babes. You should be better than this. You should be a lot more mature. I'm speaking to people who've been saved for a long time and you're having a hard time with this. So let me tell you, therefore, so because I'm on this same message, 
Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection. Remember, this carries the idea to make complete or whole. So we're talking about making Christians complete or whole. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works on faith towards God, of doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. So he starts off by saying, you know what? There's a lot of doctrines that need to be covered, but not now. Because those are for mature. What I need you to do first before we talk about all the different parts of eternal judgment and then the judgments of the different things. Before we start talking about the doctrine of baptisms and how that works and the interactions. Before we start talking, we need to get you to read your Bible. To pray. To be faithful to church. To start obeying these things. We will cover these other things as God permits us. But we got to start where you're at. Read your Bible. Pray. We got to start at the basic things. We got to start moving. We got to start you where you are. I can't, I want to teach you about these wonderful things. By the way, as someone who studies the Bible, there's a lot of things I would love to teach you. I'd love to teach you some great classes and get involved in some of these wonderful things. But I can't. That's for later on. For now, read your Bible. Pray. Be faithful to God. Be faithful to church. Keep going. And then as God opens up, we're going to teach these other things. But we got to start from where you're at. I don't Set those stuff aside. There was a big movement years ago about let's do the deeper life. And even today, people do this. They go to the internet and they go find these great articles and these YouTube things. And they feel like they're spiritual because they know all these big words. They know these deeper doctrines. And what happens is that people get satisfied with knowledge and not satisfied with obedience. Man, let me tell you, I've done a study on the ten toes of Daniel and I could tell you what each one of them are. Oh, that's great. Are you reading your Bible? But I don't need to read my Bible. I know so much. Mm. You understand? We'll cover this stuff in course. But as for now, we need to eliminate these things that will keep you from growing. That means some of you need to stay off YouTube. Some of you need to stay away from the articles, stuff. Some of will teach you those things in course. I promise we're not holding anything back. But we're going to start where you're at and help you move forward. Notice as it goes on, verse number four. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew themselves again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Verses four through six trip so many people up. Why? Because they're already having problems with obedience. They're having problems with trying to shove meat down their face and they're not ready for it. And so they say, listen, this is a passage that proves you could use your, lose your salvation. Because the Bible says it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and tasted the heavenly gift, who were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, the powers, if they shall fall away. And it says, look, if they lose their salvation, they can't be saved again. They're lost. If they messed up, they say that this is what this Bible says. But that's not what it says. They're trying to teach that if you lose your salvation, and you can lose your salvation, according to them, you're lost forever. You're gone. Look, it proves. No, 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 no. That's not what it's saying. You know what it's saying? It says, it's impossible. If you've gotten saved, it's impossible for you to lose your salvation. Why? Because that would require Jesus to be crucified afresh. And by the way, when he died, he died once and for all. And it was enough to cover every sin for every sinner who ever lived. You can't lose your salvation. It's impossible. We can cover that later. That's more of a deeper thing. But it's given an example here. You can't lose your salvation. And a discerning look at the word of God will come to that conclusion. But so many people trip up and they eat that verse and they choke on it. Next thing you know, they're saying, I can't come to this church anymore, preacher, because you believe that we can never lose our salvation. And for some reason, I really want to believe I can lose my salvation. It gives me comfort and peace I, or to know that I could be lost and 
I don't even know why people would want to believe that. But they fight me. They sit in my office and argue with me and tell me that I'm teaching heresy by saying that once God saves you, it is done and over with. And God has done it right. And he doesn't need any help from you to keep your salvation. He knows how to keep it. He's never lost you. He's good enough. I'm glad we could trust God. And so it goes. Notice in verse 7. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft of it, bringeth forth herbs, meat for them, to whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing of God. But he that beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, to whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. I'm so glad that we don't have to worry about losing our salvation or not. We've, we were persuaded there's better things for you to deal with and work with. And the things which accompany salvation through which we speak. Let me tell you, instead of worrying about, can I lose my salvation, can I not? If you start looking at all the things you get when you get salvation, you'll be greatly helped. Amen. Look at all the benefits you get. And again, we'll cover that on Wednesday. Verse number 10, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his name and which you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Notice this, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work. You know, if God forgot our work and our labor of love, he would be unrighteous, but God is not unrighteous. That means he will remember what we have done in serving God. I love that verse. I have that highlighted. Whenever I send a thank you plaque to someone, that's the verse I use because of God is not unrighteous to uh, remember this thing, or he's unrighteous if he was to forget uh, to remember these things. We need to follow suit, and we need to be remember what people have done and be thankful for them. Verse number eleven, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence under the full assurance of hope unto the end. Once again, it's used as full assurance of hope. You know what I have? I have a full assurance of hope that God is going to keep me saved, keep me going. I have full assurance that he's going to do what he said he was going to do. Verse 12, that ye be not slothful. This is the same thing that he said in uh, chapter 5, verse 11. Of whom that we have many things to say and hard things to be uttered, seeing that you are dull of hearing, chapter 6, verse number 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The Bible is saying, don't be slothful. Don't be dull of hearing. Don't be falling asleep. But learn from those who are trying to teach you how to obey. Set aside anything that's going to keep you from following after God. Follow after those who are trying to teach you, trying to show you how to walk with God and to follow after God. Who are loving you to help you with these promises of God. Who are trying to encourage you. Now he started off by talking about Melchizedek. He'll get back to Melchizedek later. But he had to take a pit stop. And by the way, can't you see this? Some preacher is giving a great message. He's talking about the millennial kingdom. He's talking about some doctrine. He's preaching and watching the crowd. I used to have a preacher said that every time I see someone check their watch, I'm preaching an extra five minutes. One day, as I said, I'm going to put cameras up and I want you to see your faces and see what I have to deal with. There's nothing like a public speaker who's really excited about the message and watching everyone kind of You understand? The preacher was preaching. He was talking about Melchizedek. He's so excited. And his bubble burst because no one else was excited. No one else cared about how great this doctrine was. He was trying to teach him. And then he remembered and understood where they're at. You got a problem. It's obedience. You need to obey. And we got to start at the beginning. You may think that you know all these wonderful things about all these deep doctrines. That's not the question I have for you. How's your Bible reading? You may say, well, I've watched all these YouTube articles. And let me tell you, I can tell you about this and this and this. Yeah, how's your prayer life? Well, preacher, let me tell you, I've become an expert. I've studied these doctrines. And let me tell you these big words. That's great. How many people have you won to the Lord? How many people have you witnessed to? How's your tracking, passing out tracks? You understand it's an obedience thing. Are you obeying the basic things? What are the basic things? What is the milk? Read your Bible. Pray. Be faithful to church. Be a faithful giver. And tell people about the Lord. 
Those are the basics. Until you have done the basics, you're not going to move on. Not in obedience. You may build up a head knowledge that puffeth up. But you're not going to move forward for the Lord. So where are you? Someone said, how can I know that I'm growing? How was your obedience? I'll tell you if you're growing or not. Are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? Are you being obedient? You say, that doesn't sound like fun. Listen, if Jesus had to learn obedience, shouldn't we? He is our example. Are you being obedient? Now, it could be that someone listens to this message and said, I didn't understand a single word you said. Well, it could be that the most basic thing you need to know is, are you 100% sure if you die today that you'd go to heaven? You know, if you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, the things that I just said are probably nonsensical. What in the world kind of cult are you trying to run here? We're not trying to run a cult. We're trying to tell you about the Lord. And we're trying to help you. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, get that settled today. Come forward, see me. I'd love to take the Bible and show you. Give me a call, email, smoke single, whatever I can do. I would love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. But if you're a Christian, you know for sure. If this type of preaching doesn't excite you, if you don't look forward to seeing what you're going to learn next, may I say that there's probably, probably a problem with your obedience somewhere. How is your obedience. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.